0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code ARSCAST at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful.
1: Il va arriver le gol de l'Arsenal Ocil. Marque Mesut Ocil. Un doublé, un triplé. Il n'avait pas marqué
2: de
0: la saison, trois buts pour le Chiné, ça fait quatre maintenant pour l'égoleur.
1: This is Arscast Extra. Welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning to you as well. How was your weekend? A good weekend, all in all?
2: Lovely weekend. Went mm. to Leicester. I'd never been. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been to Leicester for any purpose, but I'd certainly never been to the King Power Stadium. Wow. Um, if I was king of this country, I think I would live in the King Power Castle.
1: That would be cool. Like It's a, a cool name. W- yeah. What 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 is the name for? Is it named after 80s pop star King? Who did that song Love and Pride, is that? What it I, was? I,
2: I presume so i presume so and obviously the, the power of the track love and pride wow uh, that's the only assumption i can make really um or i've got some you know issues with it they the fans all had those weird like clappers do you know those like bits of paper that are sort of folded in such a way mm. as to make the sound of clapping yeah which is you know it's all right but i kind of figure we've got hands if we want to clap Let's do it in a more organic fashion. Sure. Save some paper. Well, exactly. It's better for the environment. They better be recycling those things, let me tell you. Yeah. Um I'm sure the people that, of
1: Leicester are very responsible in that regard.
2: Yeah, they seemed it. That was my impression. Mm. Um but yeah, that that was it was a lovely weekend, really. What about you?
1: Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. It was my birthday, so uh you know It was indeed
2: on Saturday.
1: Yes. You and
2: Kieran Gibbs, is that right?
1: Me and Kieran Gibbs. Actually, I was going to talk about Kieran Gibbs because uh, there was this moment in the game where they cut to the Arsenal bench and Ramsey had come off and Walcott was off. So it was late in the game. It could have been just after the the Alexis goal or the Giroud goal, I can't remember. Mm. And there's pictures of the bench sitting there. Arsene Wenger is chatting away to Steve Bold, going, this is quite good, isn't it? And Steve Bold is going, yep, yep, this is pretty good. And mm-hmm. Theo's sitting there. Ramsey's sitting there. And Kieran Gibbs is also sitting there. But man, he looks very, very crotchety indeed. Really grumpy. Really? Mm, face of thunder, you would say.
2: Did he not have? Do you think this was a IR Torre style incident where no one had delivered him well, the appropriate cake?
1: That is pretty. That's what I was going to say. That clearly he was expecting some some baked goods uh, to to be on the coach. Perhaps mm. in the dressing room, maybe mm. even to get a few minutes of, of the game, but no, nothing. And he was—he was very angry. I suspect they probably got him the wrong kind of cake, rather than no cake at all. Because uh, I think football clubs have, since that Yaya Toure incident, learned that you must—you must get the player a cake on his birthday.
2: Maybe they got him—they did get him a cake, and it was the caterpillar birthday cake. Are you aware of that as a phenomenon? No. Oh my God, in this country, let me tell you, every supermarket sells a cake in the shape of a caterpillar. But I think it's possible that he was bought that cake, but then somebody else ate the face. And let me tell you now, the face is the most delicious aspect
1: of said cake. Wow. I, I didn't know that different parts of caterpillars were more delicious than than others.
2: It's just, you know, I think it's made of a different kind of chocolate. I'm, listen, I can't believe it hasn't hit Ireland yet. No. It's a matter of time, surely. Holy surely. shit the caterpillar cake cr- crawls across the sea.
1: Maybe, there, I mean, maybe it's here. Maybe it's here. Or, I, you know, I'm, I don't tend to, to, to you know, move in the circles of, of birthdays where caterpillar cakes are the thing. I would assume they're just for kids, no?
2: They are. But, I mean, who doesn't like a caterpillar cake? You know, they might be aimed at kids, but so was Teletubbies. It doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. <laughs>
1: So yeah, well, it could well be that then he, he somebody gave him the wrong caterpillar or or no caterpillar at all. It could have been just some some hastily put together rice krispie buns that Boro Primorac did on in the back of the the thing with a calor gas thing to heat the rice krispies and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd say that's it's what an it insult. Was. nothing. Well, I think in fairness, if Kieran Gibbs wants to leave the club now after this, I don't suppose anybody could really blame him.
2: No. And what I think is most saddening for him is the fuss they made over Nacho Monreal on his birthday. Mm. Everybody was crazy. You know, they all had party hats on on the coach and singing songs. Everybody baked something.
1: Nacho, Nacho Man. Yeah. Very much that That's kind of thing And there's no, there's, no, there's no appropriate song for, for Kieran Gibbs.
2: Which doesn't scan as
1: well. No. no. Just, to, you know. So I think he, he had a very unhappy birthday. Poor Karen. Poor
2: mm. Kieran. But you had uh, you had a good one.
1: Oh yeah, you know you know the usual star-studded party kind of. All the yeah. all the big names were there, like Capella uh, Cake. Yeah, Mrs. Blogs and my brother. That was kind of about it. Great, nice one. It was it was fantastic. Well, but, the football
2: uh, went well for you.
1: Well, that's it because I remember before I remember distinctly working on my birthday one time, and it, I, did we lose to Sheffield Wednesday? When Ron Atkinson had just taken over as manager.
2: Oh, Am I yeah. remembering that right? There was something, wasn't there? Ron mm. Atkinson. There was something. Um yeah, I, I do believe I've got a vague memory of that.
1: Yeah. But I remember working on that day on my birthday, it was a Saturday. I was working for AOL. Remember AOL? They, I used, do. To, they used to they used have yeah. They used to have the internet. It used to be the internet.
2: They owned it before Google
1: did. Yeah, exactly. So you get your AOL software and install it, and of course it would break because it was pretty, pretty terrible software. And I was working um, as the the Mac expert in their call center here in Dublin, which you know we, we serviced pretty much all of the UK. So if you had a problem in the UK with AOL at some point and you rang up the call center, you got Ireland, you got me on the end of the phone, and it was a, it was a grim day in a grey business park. And we lost on my birthday to uh, to Sheffield Wednesday. I think, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday two one. Good few years ago now, like in the nineties. Oh, so uh, so Carl yeah,
2: Palmer and all that.
1: Yeah, I don't know who was playing. Probably Andy Hinchcliffe. He was oh. he was involved when there's when there's no good going on. You know, Andy Hinchcliffe is around somewhere.
2: He'll be somewhere, yeah, with a stick in his oar in,
1: fucking lurking around like a Hinchcliffey fucker.
2: So this was an upgrade on that. It certainly was.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was really a very enjoyable game of football, actually. It was.
2: When when half time whistle went, I genuinely didn't want it to go. I mean the game was just so end to end.
1: I um, felt tired watching it.
2: Yeah, I know. It was it was tiring sat there. But um it was a fantastic match, I think, because both teams well both teams are very exciting on the break. And it just made for this real spectacle up one end, up the other. Loads of chances came and went, and no surprise really that the scoreline was quite as big as it as it was. Mm,
1: Leicester started very brightly, hit the post, uh, hit the bar, mm. of course. After they'd scored, and uh, they they did open the scoring uh, through Jamie Vardy, who's uh, he, he's good, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he's really he's generally he's one of those players who I really love watching because. I guess a little bit like Alexis. I mean, he's obviously nowhere near the same level, but everything he does is 100% commitment. Mm. And, and he's got that speed. And his his opening goal was superb. The way he took the ball on his head and then dribbled in field, he had uh, his strike partner inside and just went for the shark, Bennett into the far corner. He was a real, real handful. And it's no surprise, really, that he's, he's got what is it, five or six goals already this year? Yeah. Season.
1: Yeah, I'm. You know, obviously they've got some real momentum, and when they got that goal, they were very confident, um, causing us a few problems. And it could have been two, and then within seconds it was one-one. A really brilliant goal, I think. When you look back at the, when you look back at the way the the play broke to us in the box, mm. the temptation, of course, is when when you're under that kind of pressure, is to just fucking leather the ball far up the pitch and, and get it out of there and try and regroup, but. If you watch it again when the ball falls for Cazorla I think it is, it is he just does this little this little shimmy which is fantastic he sends the the Leicester guy one way goes back the other way and starts off the move which ends up with him playing the ball into Theo Walcott f- for the goal I mean truly brilliant football
2: it is and and I thought you see I think you see the advantage there of playing Cazorla deep because he, he picks up the ball inside his own box is able to turn away from a couple of defenders and suddenly we're away and I think it goes Cazorla, Ozil, Alexis, Cazorla again and then Walcott and it's mm. just a brilliant sort of rapier counter-attack one into the other and a really nice finish as well once Walcott sorts his feet out nice to see him finish with his left foot a bit of variety in his finishing because you know we've seen a lot of that open body uh side foot with the right foot, that kind of Henri-esque. But nice to see something a little bit different come yeah, off.
1: Yeah, you know what was interesting about it? Because I watched it again and, uh, you know, uh, on the far side, you're looking at um, Aaron Ramsey coming yeah. in at the back post and he's like screaming for the ball because if 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 Walcott gets it across, he's got to tap in. Hmm. Um, but I was watching Walcott. He doesn't really look up. He doesn't look across to see who's there he doesn't look necessarily where the goalkeeper is or where the goal itself is. Mm. And perhaps, you know, that's a good sign in the sense that there's an instinctiveness to his finishing and his positioning that hasn't always been the case. Um, And I thought overall, and we've had this discussion on this podcast before about Walcott playing as a centre forward, I thought he was fucking great like really good, not just because of the goal. I thought his movement was really good. I thought he held it up well at times when we needed to. And he was he was really strong also. He used the ball much better than, than he usually does and much better than I've seen him. And if this is the consequence of of playing him week in, week out there, well, you know, uh, give me a slice of that humble pie there.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's the first time I've seen it, well, this season in the flesh. It's the first game I've actually been able to attend this season. And I was really impressed uh, by seeing Walcott centre-forward. As you say, his, his movement was good. You'd expect that. His runs in behind. You, you'd expect him to be quicker than Wes Morgan and Robert Hooth, but you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be able to stand up to them and, and hold the ball up as well as he did. Mm. Uh, and I think that was really, really encouraging. Maybe it is just a case of him... Learning the ropes. You know, Ian Wright's been very vocal saying he started the transition too late in his career, he should have had more opportunities to play as a centre forward in the past. If that is the case, then it's gonna take time for him to learn the position. Uh, and maybe what we're seeing is, as you say, the benefit of a little run there. Because I thought he was excellent all game and you know, there were a couple of other runs he made where he got him behind and Schmeichel made good saves or he created opportunities for others. I think he's always been able to produce a goal out of nothing with one running behind, but what was really Fascinating to see was the way he's beginning to link up with the other players, combine really well with the likes of Erzul and Alexis. So yeah, hu- hugely encouraging. Obviously, he'll keep his place uh, Tuesday because uh, Giroud is suspended for the Champions League.
1: Ah, yes, I'd forgotten about that because uh, I guess that would have been a point of discussion. But uh, yeah, well, that takes the decision out of the manager's hands.
2: What I was going to ask you was... Is, I mean, who does he remind you of as a centre forward? Because the lazy comparison is kind of Thierry Henry, probably because of the number on the back of his shirt. But is there any striker of that ilk that that you can think of? Who Like, what? who's he trying to emulate, really?
1: I don't know if he's trying to emulate anyone. I think there's a danger always, isn't there, of, of seeing a guy perform regardless of the position he's in mm. and then making an assumption that he is the new this or the next that. It's like when you get a, a powerful midfielder, he's the next Patrick Vieira. Yeah. maybe we just have to take him on his own merits i mean i think there are still obviously flaws and weaknesses in his game like any footballer but you know i think just let him let him go and, and let's not make comparisons to anyone else and 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 see where he ends up this season in terms of his goal scoring and his ability to play as a center forward you know um the the henry comparisons are 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 obvious because, like you say, because of the number, because of the way that he finishes, uh, because of his pace, yeah. uh, you know those those characteristics. But you know, uh, let's let's just um, let's just leave him do it and and see because you know he he does give us something that the others don't have. You know, we, we know what what Giroud can bring, we know what Welbeck can bring, uh, and Walcott's got, got his own stuff going on up there. So let's let's just leave him be
2: definitely I mean the, the, the equalising goal that he scored is a goal that we probably don't score without him in the team you know with, if Olivier is up there he doesn't necessarily get onto that pass mm. um, and I do think that's what's really exciting about him and I, yeah I definitely think you know what is it now 12 goals in 13 starts something like that or 11 in 12 it's
1: kind of weird stat that isn't it because yeah you know w- when you look at it from that point of view you go well shit that's like very fucking impressive really but How you, long a
2: period does that go over? It must be some time. Yeah, of uh, course, of course. Might, may even go back to pre-injury. I, d- I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it is it is impressive, and he does have you know he's a regular goal scorer when it, when he does play. But I think he's done enough now in the last few games to to earn a little run. I think as centre forward because I think he probably needs that to find some rhythm and consistency.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and of course, of course, Alexis Sanchez burst into life. With a hat-trick. Yeah. We've been waiting for it to happen, haven't we? The manager spoke about it before the game, saying, I'm not worried about him at all. He's had the shots. He's got himself in the positions. He's maybe a little bit tired after winning the Copa America and everything else. And, uh, you know, you you always felt like it was going to take something like this to to, to get him going. But the first goal, obviously, pretty much on a plate for him. Uh, The ball fell for him very nicely. What a pass by, by Ozil to Bellerin, though.
2: Really excellent. I mean, Urzel just to quickly talk about him. I mean, Alexis, poor Alexis, got a hat trick, and he keeps being bumped down the with pe- the running order, but uh, he did things in this game several times where. Uh, watching it in the stands, I couldn't necessarily see his intention. You know, this pass was one, so the balls rolled into him, and you sort of wanted him to turn in field, have a shot, or he had guys in the centre of the box, and he just played this brilliant pass off to Bellerin on the right hand side. But when he first did it, I was looking going, "What are you doing?" And uh, yeah. it's that thing where he's so far ahead of everybody else. The the same would be true of the the chip for Alexis's header. Just an instance where you know, he sees something that even from the stands isn't necessarily obvious. That was a brilliant pass. Bellerin's run was superb. Got the lucky break at the near post and Alexis tucked it away. I think it was probably always going to be a goal like that that broke his duck. And from that point on, he was absolutely outstanding.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right there about Ozil though as well because, you know, to some, when you sit in the stands and you watch a game, you can see everything. You can see the, You can see the runs, you can see the space, you can see the opportunity. But to be able to do it from ground level you oh, know, yeah. to have the vision to, to see what's going on. And again, maybe it comes back to um, to the team sort of clicking a little bit, you know, the automatisms, the, knowing where a teammate is going to be. Perhaps when when Ozil gets the ball in that position, he's got a fair idea that Hector Bellerin is going to be charging down the outside looking for that ball or using his pace. So it might well be that certain things, you know, that, that, are, uh, that we're looking at as part of Ozil's vision are also part of, you know, the stuff that's being worked on.
2: Definitely, definitely. And and Bellerin was really good in that respect going forward, you know, he provided the overlap several times. Ozil had a funny game because until that point he'd actually been, I thought, a little bit indifferent, a little bit in and out. But obviously the mark of a quality player is the ability to, to provide those match winning contributions, those mm. things that lead directly to goals, and he really did that there. And Alexis Took it very smartly, really. It's that it was that classic Robert Perez thing, wasn't it? Arriving at the back post and just tucking it neatly away.
1: Yeah, what there was a, a, a Piresness to the positioning and the and the finish as well. The mm. way he just put it away. Second goal, fantastic header. What what a leap that guy has. He's just <laughs>
2: no. Feels like we talk about it every week, but honestly, he seems to double in size, doesn't he? When the ball's mm. up in the air. I mean, Kasper Schmeichel's certainly no midget, and he was well clear of him. I think there's a great photograph of him uh, getting to the ball, and it's like.
1: Casper Schmeichel is, uh, I just want to correct you there he's actually a really tall midget
2: oh is he yeah <laughs> right okay fair enough um, I'm glad that that's that's that cleared up yeah but yeah I mean amazing really and, and brave as well because obviously he's, he's doing it against a goalkeeper who's coming out looking to punch the ball and quite a high probability he'll end up punching off your head <laughs> um, Alexis unperturbed by that and uh Obviously, you know we've got to talk about the pass as well. Just an absolutely amazing uh, piece of vision and execution from Özil.
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, the third goal for Alexis cut inside, the kind of finish that we were we're used to seeing from him. You know that near post, but the way he sort of bent the ball around uh, and just into the into the bottom corner left the, the keeper with no chance. Fantastic yeah. finish.
2: First touch is great as well Just knocks it beyond the defender Allows him to chase onto it and hit it first time And uh, yeah that's a player I guess Coming off the back of two goals really His confidence suddenly so much higher um, And a a brilliant finish It was one of those that really took your breath away Mm. You know in the stadium I think even the home fans Just allowed themselves a little intake of breath at that one
1: They probably got their clappers out They probably did Just a
2: a gentle little clap
1: A little bit of mournful clapping Exactly oh, that. that That was quite good <laughs> um, Olivier Giroud off the bench then To score the fifth goal um, Still not
2: too jolly about it
1: I thought I thought he was okay I mean I think that, You know that the the, the, the circumstances of the goal I mean if you go crazy after scoring the 5th in a 5-2 win you know you're going to look like would be a, as
2: worried about him yeah
1: that, that would be Ronaldo-esque wouldn't it it would be just look at me <laughs> but uh, you know he, he did run over and give a nice wave to the fans blew a few kisses and, and he seemed seemed pretty happy with the goal uh, an assist for Monreal as well
2: well well deserved I thought he was really excellent on the day Monreal mm. Um He's just become such a consistent and reliable performer and uh, did well. I mean, in stoppage time, to be that far up the field, laying on a goal for another is a testament to him, really.
1: Yeah, he was great. There was another really nice moment that I enjoyed, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, I think it was in the build-up to the second goal and right. Leicester looked like they were going to break and Arteta was chasing back in midfield. And who's the guy? Is, how do you? Um, I should have looked up his name. Okazaki?
2: Okazaki, yeah.
1: Okazaki, yeah. And he's sort of running just ahead of Arteta, and there was just a very faintest little little shin-to-heel kind of foul ah, on him. Ah, yeah. Which I enjoyed a was that lot. The,
2: was that the break that ended up with Vardy sort of running over Koscielny? Yes. Yes, yes. I remember that. Well, yeah. Leicester weren't very happy about no. those incidents. No, they
1: would have had their clap without going, just angry... Angry, angry clapping it was
2: furious clapping with furious those, yeah.
1: clapping but I, I kind of like that you know the, just that little bit of cynicism in midfield uh, from time to time is, is very nice particularly when you get away with it and particularly when the referee was looking straight at it and, yeah. and didn't give anything I guess he just thought that the two players uh, you, you know when you kind of run across each other a little bit that it was an accidental coming together but it certainly wasn't it was no. quite quite the excellent trip by by Mikel
2: yeah, and I thought he did. He did well, a Shame for Flamini, of course, who was, to my slight surprise, given a starting place. But then obviously had to depart with a
1: hamstring injury. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, maybe that's the consequence of not playing very often, and you know, doing ninety minutes in midweek, and then, you know, starting again. I, I, I don't know, but yeah. You, you, yeah.
2: There we go. So I uh, probably I thought. Well, that's probably fair to say that is that was our best
1: performance of the season, wasn't it? Not? I think so. You know, overall, I thought there were some really good performances individually, collectively. Obviously, we were we were very good. Um, a couple of little worries defensively, but I have to say, even though he's even though he conceded twice, I thought Petr Cech was was really really good as well. Made some big big saves.
2: Yeah, some big saves, and I think what's I think what's nice about Czech is that he does it in quite an unfussy manner. You know, there's not a sort of a, there's no sense of the spectacular with him, really. Mm. He just kind of does what he needs to do. And I thought on the, I thought on both goals he was, had little chance. I mean, the the second one particularly, I don't think he was helped by the defenders. I think they allowed Vardy to get that shot away far too easily. It's one of those where even on the camera angle you can see, oh, well, there's the gap. He just needs to put it in there. Yeah. And and he does.
1: Oh, what the hell is this? Can you hear that? Hello?
2: Yeah, I'm listening. Sorry, to, I, I took my headphones off
1: to see. Can you what? hear the Arscast music? No. It's playing in my headphones. I don't know what's happening here. You must have opened it somehow? No. Hang on. What the fuck?
2: <laughs> the ghost of the Arscast strikes again.
1: It was just playing in my head. Maybe.
2: I haven't got it open.
1: That's really weird because there's, there's literally nothing else open.
2: But also, if I had it open on my browser or whatever, you wouldn't hear it. Based on uh,
1: it, just played in my head. I didn't. Have, I didn't have iTunes. I don't
2: thing. think it did play. I think you're just cracking up. <laughs> Fuck.
1: That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happened there. I suppose you better leave this in as testament to my okay. my insanity, just in case. Yeah.
2: Your ninetieth birthday at the
1: weekend. <laughs> uh, what in. were we talking about? Oh, defending. I get. Yeah, the, the the defending for the for the two goals. I think we were caught in the break, obviously, for the first one. But for the second goal, there was a touch of we're winning four one to the defending, wasn't there? I Alex, so- so. Alex Oxley Chamberlain looking just standing, and I think he, uh-huh. he, you know, the the other defenders probably could have closed him down a bit quicker too, and.
2: He's kind of infuriating me at the moment, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, because I feel like this season, like every season, um, I've sort of really tipped him to have a big breakout year. And obviously, while that can still happen, I, I kind of find him really frustrating because he's got all the ingredients. He's got so much talent. And I think even Arsene Wenger's on record saying it recently, kind of that he can be whatever he wants to be. But at both ends of the pitch... He's just a tad short at the moment, not t- not producing goals and assists, and a little bit lax defensively.
1: Well, I thought um, going forward, he m- he made a great chance for 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 Ozil.
2: Yeah, that's true. Who probably should have scored. Yeah, mm. um, but yeah, he he feels like he's right on the cusp of something. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just that's just young players for you, and it'll, it'll t- the tipping point will come soon.
1: Yeah, it is a bit worrying though when you when it's the co- the same constant discussion or the same weakness. You know that perhaps yeah. defensively defensively he's he just doesn't seem to be switched on the way that he should be and you do wonder perhaps if that i mean how many times must he have been told you know this is what you do in this circumstance this is how you deal with a situation like this when you're standing on the edge of the box i think he was waiting for the you know waiting for the ball to break out so he could charge upfield and there was a touch of five aside to the way he, he uh mm. he dealt with that situation but look maybe we're nitpicking on a on a day uh, when we've won very well. But, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah it's, yeah. it's interesting. Wenger said that he thinks he can be too critical of himself and he wants him to play with more freedom.
1: Well, you know what, then? I, You know what I think he's doing? <laughs> he's doing these things so other people will be more critical of him than he is of himself. And he's that way he'll feel better, yeah.
2: Of the burden. Yeah. I see. It I all makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, brilliant result, really. And because Leicester, obviously, are having a really good season. Yeah. Um, They were fourth, weren't they, going into the game? Yeah, And not a bad weekend, all in all. I mean, we never like to see Spurs win, but I think it's probably a good thing for us that Manchester City lost. mm -hmm. Chelsea. (laughs) Chelsea. I saw somebody put on Twitter, who was it? I think it may have been... um, This is a long pause. Well, I think it may have been Angry of N5. Right. But they said something about how when they were looking at the Premier League table, they genuinely couldn't find Chelsea because they were so far down. Right. It took them ages to see them. had to sort of double take. <laughs> 15th position they are. At the well,
1: moment. long may that last. Yeah. Long may Extraordinary.
2: It so a, a good weekend, all in all.
1: Yes, indeed. All right, look, we'll leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and other bits and pieces in part two right after this. today's show is sponsored by Squarespace, which is the place to go, as you know, at this point, if you want to get yourself a website, personal website, business website, online store, blog, portfolio, whatever it might be, you can do it at Squarespace. Even if you don't know the first thing about coding or web design or graphics or anything like that, you can get yourself a beautiful website because of the templates that they have on offer, Uh, maintaining it, getting it up and running, really simple. The tools are intuitive and easy to use. The Technology is there to make sure that your site is always available. For example, if you were to set up a website or a blog charting the slow decline of Jose Mourinho and Chelsea and you wanted to laugh at them and then all of a sudden it got millions of visitors with other web services, chances are your website will go down, not with Squarespace. It has got the power and the technology to keep it up and running. And the best thing about it is, is it starts at just $8 a month. That's $8 a month and you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So you can start your free trial today with no credit card Required at squarespace.com. When you do decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code ARSCAST to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for this podcast. So thank you very much indeed. If you want a website, make sure you go to squarespace.com. Use the offer code ARSCAST. Squarespace, build it beautiful.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs.
1: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. Just before we get on with the questions, we should talk a little bit about next Monday, James. Yes. Arsecast Extra.
2: Live. And it's live.
1: Uh, in the garage in Highbury in Islington. And you can get tickets right now from myticket.co.uk or ctickets.com. That's C-S-E-E and not S-E-A. Mm. Right? Because that would be weird, because then you'd have to go to the ocean to get your tickets. It's not happening in the ocean, guys. Definitely not. It's going to be indoors. There's going to be a bar. There'll be beer and wine and whatever you like, and you can sit there. And we're going to be talking about Arsenal, myself and James, with our with our guests. One of whom will be one of whom will be Philippe Eau Claire. More to be uh, announced soon. Adding some Gallic sophistication to proceedings. Well, look. In fairness, it's a good counter. It's a good counter to what we bring to proceedings. Something
2: that we definitely don't offer. No, for sure. Sophistication or Frenchness.
1: Neither of us have any of those things. None. No. So However, that's a, yeah,
2: well, there might be wine there, and that's sort of French. Some of it, isn't it?
1: Well, it depends where you could be. Like Chilean wine, though, that that wouldn't shh, be very French. Shh, don't. taste all French because what if the people
2: love French stuff? Right. All right. Okay.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. There. There will be. There will be wine, baguettes. Mm-hmm. All the kinds. Onions
2: of things. on strings. Honestly, if you like
1: French things, be there. It's going to be magic. So come join us. It's next Monday, the 5th of October, just after the Manchester United game uh, in the garage in Highbury in Islington. Doors open at 6.30. We'll start the show around 7.30. Show, perhaps, is the wrong word, is it? Cause people we'll, might start be expecting talking. Talking. we'll start the
2: talking. The talking. It's not a real show. There's no pyrotechnics or anything. Right. Uh, but, you know, it'll be fun. Yeah. Especially once we've beaten Man U.
1: Yeah, of course. It's going to be like a, a party. We can. you know what we can do? We can have our yeah. little clappers. Oh, this is happy clapping right.
2: you bring the clappers I'll bring the caterpillar cake let's make yeah,
1: it happen this is going to be awesome so uh, check out uh, myticket.co.uk or ctickets.com uh, search for Arsecast and you can pick up the tickets there and uh, we hope to see you next Monday we do indeed it's a good job we weren't having it on a Tuesday actually yeah big time <laughs> definitely alright we're going to do questions do you want to go first oh
2: how very very generous of you
1: it's what um, the French would want
2: it is what the French would want. what the French would do. Um, Philippe would approve. So let's have a question. This one is from Robel, at, who on Twitter is at Rye Solomon. And they ask, we talked about it at the top of the podcast, Gibbs turned 26 a few days ago and, says Robel, he still isn't very good. <laughs> do you think we should replace him?
1: It's a good question, isn't it? I mean... Montreal has clearly established himself as the number one. Number three. The number one, number three. Indeed. And Gibbs is now falling behind? I
2: mean, he, I, he really is. They're not rotating very much at all, are they? It's only in the in the cup competitions that he's getting. I think he's barely kicked a ball in the Premier yeah, League.
1: Yeah, he is 26. I I've sort of had a sense for a while that perhaps he had he'd sort of plateaued in terms of his the development of him as a footballer, he felt like he would reached a certain level and then has struggled to to get beyond that. Mm-hmm. When, as a very young player, he was obviously an exciting prospect, somebody with plenty of potential, fit into that into that role at left back very well because he's quite typical of the kind of player that Arsene Wenger likes. There, you know, the shades of Cole and Clichy from him.
2: Yeah, more so than Montreal you'd have to
1: say. Yeah. in that respect but obviously Monreal's performances mean he's got to stay in the team uh, and what that means for Gibbs is a secondary role unless something happens injury-wise to Monreal i mean i think he's perfectly good backup for for uh, for a team like arsenal the idea that we could get rid of him i don't i don't see that making much sense at the moment but maybe at the end of the season uh, and with monreal perhaps you know, the wrong side of 30. He must be close enough to 30 now, is he? Mm. Um, Not that that's a a Logan's run write-off or anything like that, but you have to start thinking about how you fill that role going forward into the future. That if a young, exciting left-back became available, perhaps he could be brought in uh, and he could understudy Monreal for a season or season and a half, two, until such time as as he was ready and maybe Gibbs, you know, could... could, uh, continue his career somewhere else. I like him. I think he seems a, a nice guy and everything, but I, I do worry that his career has, has hit a plateau.
2: There's a contractual situation with Montréal, is there not? I think his deal is up... Uh, if not this summer than the one after and there's, there's not been a huge amount of progress my face
1: Yeah but there's been to- apparently there's new deals on offer now to him and and, and, and Ozil. Ozil so yeah. um...
2: We shall see what happens there I think that there probably was a youthful left back target we saw some stories in the press last season linking Arsenal with uh, Monaco's left back at the time Kazawa, Kozawa uh, and it was a slightly surprising talk because we had Monreal and Gibbs both in the squad but He's a big, big prospect. But then it was interesting to see Arsene Wenger on Friday in his press conference saying, well, we, we followed uh, two players at Monaco, Marshall and Kozawa, and thought they wouldn't move. And of course, in the days, just before the end of the window, he went to Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. So that's that one gone. Um, but I think that the thing about Gibbs is, I thought he played well at Spurs, made a pretty important block in yeah, the line. Yeah. He's got a good habit of doing that, like Ashley Cole used to many a time. And I think that, he adds to the homegrown quota. If he's content to kind of play this role in the squad, then I don't. I think you'll struggle to get many better reserve fullbacks. Effect, essentially, the problem will arise. You know, you saw him on the subs bench at the weekend. Oh, very grumpy,
1: very, very grumpy,
2: very grumpy indeed. And and all all gags about his birthday aside, you've got to feel that that's probably partially to do with the fact that he's not playing. Mm. Uh, well, largely to do with that, you'd imagine.
1: Well, you'd like uh, you'd like a player to be grumpy if they're not playing, right?
2: That's true. I mean, you know, Machida Bushi made his feelings very clear on the subject. Um, Gibbs hasn't done that publicly, which I think we prefer. But I think his his, his face is giving him away, isn't mm,
1: it? Yes, it is a bit.
2: But I, I'm not in a hurry to lose him. I think that you know he's he's someone who knows the club. I think that's important. That sense of connection, that sense of identity, and I think that I think that he's a, a good player, even if he's not necessarily good enough to start every
1: week. Sure, I, I like. I- I'm with you on that. Like I'm not in a hurry to lose him, but yeah. if there was something better that came along, you know, I think he is at a at a point where not that he's expendable, but I think it, you know it might benefit both club and player if that was if that was the way it Maybe. went.
2: I mm. mean 26 feels old, doesn't it for Kieran Gibbs? Yeah. It's like one of those sort of perennially young players. That's like that's a real grown-up footballer now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is, and that's why I I worry. But, you know, 26 to to 30, 32 for a defender are usually the best years. But Mm. if you can't get into the team, then that's going to be a struggle. Um, Staying with fullbacks, this one comes from uh, David McNamara at DVD MCN. Nice. Yeah, I just said I'd leave a gap there for no good reason. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, he said, "Given his recent comments and lack of games, could this summer see Debushi sold and a return for Carl Jenkinson,
2: the corporal? He's back. Um, yes, I think I personally feel that is what will happen. Um, I I think Debushi to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me in massively if he were to agitate for a move in January, uh, simply because that that." prize of replacing the French squad for Euro 2014 may be slipping away from him by that point. And he'll be desperate to get the club games he needs to ensure he participates in that. Come the summer, I certainly think he'll be on his way. You know, he'll be, what, 31, something like that. I think he'll be at an age where <clears throat> playing time is at a premium for him and he won't want to just sit on the substitutes bench. So, And Jenkinson signed a new deal, I believe, this summer to extend his time with us. I think he's started relatively well at West Ham. I think he's a a perfect fit for that kind of Kieran Gibbs role, if you mm. will, on the other side. Um, again, it will come down to if he's willing to do that, having enjoyed two seasons of regular first-team football, if he, if he has the confidence to say, well, I'm going to come in and I'm going to challenge Bellerin and I think that's a challenge that I, I'm ready for and that I can take on and win, then great. I think that that's a very logical thing to do and uh, that's actually what I expect to happen. What about you?
1: Well, you know what? I think we we've been very I won't say lucky per se because obviously we identify Bellerin as a, a young talent who who could make the grade and uh, often it's it's you know it's fine margins if a, a young player doesn't but Bellerin has emerged as the most exciting right back in England oh, over the last 12 months, possibly beyond England, yeah. I mean. He I mean he's he's brilliant to watch. Uh, brings a lot to the way that the team plays and the future of Arsenal's right back position is his. As mm-hmm. long as he stays injury free, he's our first choice right back for, for years to come. And it's been interesting to to see Mikel Arteta say that. He said it last year. He reiterated that last week as well, talking about Bellerin. So if you're Matthew Debushi and you're thirty one years of age next July, yeah, I think you I think you think about leaving because you want to play football. At that point in your career, you want to play football. Uh, you don't want to be the understudy. There's something a little bit when you're that age and you're that experienced. If you're being kept out of the team by a young guy, I'm not going to say it's uh, embarrassing or anything like that, but it can't feel good. So you go somewhere where you play regularly. And I think as long as Bellerin stays fit, then yeah, he he's he's going to be the guy. And Debushi moving on makes all kinds of sense for, for him. The question, of course, is the backup Jenkinson coming back The point you make about him being willing to to settle for second Mm. place there is a very interesting one. We know he's a big Arsenal fan. We know he loves the club, but he's also a professional footballer who has his own career to consider and and, uh, his own development as a player. So after two seasons of playing regularly, would he be happy as a bit part player, making substitute appearances or Capital One Cup or, or FA Cup appearances? Maybe he would be. Maybe he would be, but you know, it, I don't think it's as I don't think it's as cut and dry. So I think that the main point about Debushi leaving wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. It'd be nice if Jenkinson could come back, having developed at West Ham for a couple of seasons, and, uh, and and slot in there and make a good a good place in the squad his own. But it's whether he wants to be a squad player or not.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It'd be interesting to see, though. It'd just be a really interesting. Piece of management essentially to loan a player out to the same club for two years, allow them to develop there. It's the sort of thing Chelsea have been doing really over the last few years. Yeah, Um and I'd, I'd be fascinated to see if that experiment would work, Uh but we, we shall see. I do think Debuchy is not long for Arsenal.
1: Mm, not long for this world,
2: indeed. For of Arsenal, mention? yes, of Arsenal, of Arsenal. Uh, this is from Arsenal. This is from uh, Jamie Russell at Jamie Gooner eighty five. Uh, and he asks, or says rather, "Ersel's chip for Alexis on Saturday was class. That's not the end. That's oh, right. Okay. I was thinking it, it is. No, 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 is. We all agree with that. What's your favourite Arsenal assist ever?
1: Oh, fucking hell. Do um, <laughs> <laughs> so you ask your favourite goal, your favourite match, and you think, okay, what is my favourite Arsenal assist ever? Okay. I love... Do remember playing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge?
2: Uh, is this the Vieira goal? This
1: is the Vieira goal where Bergkamp plays a ball with the outside of his foot and just rolls it into his path and the reason that that is so good for me is not just the quality of the pass, not the quality of the run not the quality of the finish not the fact that we're uh, scoring against Chelsea. I think they scored after 20 seconds or 29 seconds of that game so not the fact that they just couldn't beat us at that stage. We were going through that period where even if they scored, we'd come back and we'd beat them again, didn't matter where Um, not just all of those things but when When the ball hits the back of the net, there's this brilliantly fantastic, like metallic sound that you don't really get anymore, and uh, I love that sound. So everything about that goal, uh, including the pass, is is just awesome. So there you go. That's my that's my. It's actually
2: a one-two, as I recall, as well. It's just a brilliant pass though from Burkett. outside the right foot. Also,
1: hang on. There's a couple of others as well. Now that I think about it, there's the Freddie Yumburg goal. Was it against?
2: Juventus, 2001?
1: Yeah. Was that's it, the you, one I'm thinking of. The one where Burkham sort of held onto the ball and then just scooped it over the top? Yeah,
2: that's the one where Jumbo gives it to Burkham. actually watching it right now on the right-hand side of the penalty box. He kind of dribbles in a little 360 and then flicks it b- between the defenders and Jumbo just lifts it over the keeper. Oh, Delicious. It's a brilliant, brilliant assist and a brilliant goal. Yeah. Th- that would probably be my favourite off the top of my head, I'd have to say. Yeah, there's um,
1: um, the 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 one Burkamp to Vieira for the the goal that beat Leicester on the final day of the 2003-2004 season. It's
2: not bad either, it's is pretty
1: it? pretty fucking good. Um, because I think because of the the importance of the goal, but just the, the way that that goal happened as well. You see Vieira lurking deep in midfield. He played it and just kept running and Bergkamp's there and there were I think in the could have been the 2001-2002 season when remember when Bergkamp and Jumberg used to just you know Freddie would make the runs and Bergkamp would find him yeah yeah,
2: just countless countless examples Mm. I mean that Juventus one is uh, a particularly good one but I mean no surprise that all our everything we think of is uh, a Bergkamp example
1: yeah yeah it really is Um, I mean there must be loads of great ones but you kind of forget the assist for the most part don't you you remember the goal and then it's difficult to remember the assist
2: yeah I think we've done alright there cut with a few, few pretty handy ones
1: yeah not bad okay here's a question this comes from Eric Sobey mm-hmm. um, he's not on Twitter and he sent it by email uh, which isn't to open the floodgates to send us uh, loads of emails because it's very difficult <laughs> to keep track of this but it came in this morning and it's timely and it's an interesting question go uh, so back in the summer, you were asked about rule changes, but neither of you wanted to change any of the rules around bookings. It so says, in light of disciplinary issues over the last few weeks, I'm wondering what you think of the following. So if you do something violent or dangerous, deserving of a red card, you get sent off, just like now. But if you accumulate two yellow cards, you have to leave the pitch, but you can be replaced. Mm. right so he says this would uh, uh, make a dramatic change some of the benefits uh, more games will finish 11 versus 11 it's true uh Less incentive for, for players to trick the ref into giving a player a second yellow card and less incentive for the crowd to scream at the ref every time a player on a yellow comes near the ball. There'll be some incentive to remove one or other of the team's better players, but less incentive because it wouldn't dramatically change the entire game. If your team picks up several yellows in the first half, it limits tactical flexibility in the second half because you have to reserve substitutions. Uh, and refs will be less reluctant to give yellow cards when they're deserved. Sometimes they're, you know, they're very soft. Uh, so, yeah, they, they have a system like that in the GAA, in, in Ireland, uh, Gaelic football and hurling, uh, I think, where it's called the black card. So if you do something that merits punishment on an individual basis, you get a black card. Right. So you're sent off, but you're allowed to be replaced. So you're allowed to uh, bring a player on. So maybe something really, really cynical, um, like, for example, had, uh, had the referee noticed Arteta's trip you know, uh, on on Okazaki, you know, th- that kind of a thing. So what, what do you think?
2: It's definitely interesting. Is it open to any kind of abuse? Like if, like, let's say we didn't want to play, let's say we kept Meza Ozil on the bench, played Mathieu Flamini there, let him go out and kick someone twice, then he's forced to come off, but we've got a better player to come on kind of thing. Is that...
1: Is that a thing? Yeah, maybe there's a gray area. You know, I've I've been talking about this for a while the last few weeks where I think yellow cards, particularly second yellow cards, are given out way too way too easily. You know, I think sending off should be the absolute last resort. Should right. be. Yeah. You know, it should be for, for really egregious foul play or for, for violent conduct. But you know, two yellow cards like Cazorla's, for example. Two soft yellow cards. Yeah, you can argue that they were both bookings, but does a player really deserve to be uh, sent off for that?
2: I mean, maybe, maybe if it's because it does yellows. fuck the
1: game up, you know?
2: It does, although not for not for the opposition, though. You know, not for the team who's then playing against ten. They're presumably delighted. Well, of course, but for the neutral, undoubtedly. Yeah, um, and I suppose from the Premier League's point of view, the the neutral's a massive market, something they would be worried about. Mm. What about if two yellow cards... Yeah, two yellow cards, so would, you'd stay, you'd be substituted off and you'd still be suspended, would you, for the following game?
1: I don't know. I imagine so. Yeah, we could work out those details over a beer or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, what about the... Do you ever think there's any merit in a kind of orange card? You know, that's always talked about a lot, isn't it? Like, like a last
1: like, warning sort of yeah, a thing.
2: Yeah, like something between a yellow and a red. I don't know. It's very... Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, there's the option perhaps of a, a sin bin for for two yellow cards. Well, I wonder if
2: that I wonder if that might be the best solution—a sin bin. That way, there is a sort of very definite punishment for that team, and there's no way out of it. Mm. They have to lose a player for a period. But if if it's not a severe foul, like if it happens, you know, two yellow cards in the first half, or whatever. If it was a period of I don't know, arbitrarily 15 minutes or what have you, it's
1: a bit too long. Maybe 10 minutes. Do you think? Yeah. Because you know, ten minutes—I think ten minutes is a reasonable uh, amount of time to be to be down to ten men. Uh, you know, for, for an offence that isn't necessarily worthy of a red card. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think there's I think there's definitely room to improve the disciplinary disciplinary side of the game in general. You know, it's long been an issue that, for example, uh, acts of violent conduct aren't uh, judged on a sliding scale. Yeah. So th- there's definitely room for it but again I you know I feel like there's sort of resistance to to changing too much about the game if you talk about changing yellow card systems if you talk about sin bins if you talk about video technology people immediately start to get freaked out by going well no th- th- this is too much stuff let's just leave football the way it is has been fine uh, and maybe part of what's what's great about the game is, the human error or or the the sense of injustice you feel or, or things like that. So I don't know, maybe that's all just part of the sport. But my, my thinking would be that we should try and improve the game, the actual game, you know, that, that, that it remains 11 versus 11 as much as possible because that's what people are paying to see.
2: I think Simbin is actually quite an exciting idea because not only do you have that kind of time pressure element of okay well we've got 10 minutes or whatever it is in order to try and take advantage of that which makes those 10 minutes particularly crucial and interesting you've then got the change in dynamic when a player re-enters the field you go back to 11 versus 11 mm. Um and that so it means that there's kind of an undulation in terms of you know who's got the upper hand in the game and I think that that could be really interesting to watch. But with all these things, I mean, they need to be trialed and that's not going to happen at the highest level, is it? It's going no, to happen no. somewhere out of sight.
1: What would be great is if a player went into a sin bin and there was like a a, a big arc across, you know, running the yeah. length of the sideline and they were put in a black or a kind of a, a glass box
2: yeah. And they have to
1: stand in this glass box and the box has to do a whole transition from one side to the other. And, you know, it's timed for 10 minutes. Perfect. So he's sitting, he's suspended above the crowd, and, you know, slowly moving across the stadium until the box reaches the the, the ground floor again, uh, hits there and he can charge back onto the pitch. That would be Release awesome. the Flamini. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get Santi Cazorla out there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> imagine. Hmm. I'd really enjoy that. But uh, interesting, though. I mean, you know, I'd like to see more experimentation with things, perhaps in like summer international tournaments, or you know, little cha- not not World Cups and Euros, but you know, little things that they mm. have. Or I don't know, just mix it up and see if we can find a better solution.
1: Sure, sure. Okay, uh, one more from you.
2: Okay, let's have a very practical one. This is from Zeus Cannon, uh, and he asks thoughts on the lineup for Olympiacos? Should we field a strong eleven? Or rest some for the United game.
1: I think it's Tuesday. We don't play again till Sunday, so you do have a bit more scope to to recover. Mm-hmm. It all depends on what the legs and the aches and strains are like following Saturday, because Saturday to Tuesday doesn't give you as much time to recover from that one. No. So, look, at, you know, the, you look at the squad and. The, we can't really make too many changes because we don't have Giroud, which you reminded us of earlier. Um, don't have Welbeck up front. So we don't have those options in, in the front. So I think he'll probably, I think he'll change around a little bit, but not too much. I'm not quite sure where those changes will be. He could bring Gabriel back in, give Koscielny a rest, for example. Maybe the fullbacks. But again, you know, this is an important game that we've got to win after what happened at Zagreb. And I suspect there might be just a touch of uh, caution um, based on the the amount of changes that, that we might make. So, yeah, two or three changes, but nothing nothing considerable. Play as, as good a team as we can within reason.
2: I'd agree with that, yeah. I think, uh, obviously, there's a chance Coquelin will be back. If he is, he'll probably come into the side. Maybe one of the centre-backs will rotate out for Gabriel. But I don't... I don't expect masses of changes. This is we really need to win this match, having lost the opening game. Mm. So that will be all the focus. And I think we've got plenty of time to recover for United at the weekend. Another really, really big game.
1: Mm. Okay, final question for me. This comes from Ollie, who is at Tuxedo underscore Gooner. Mm. And he wants to know, would you rather have a blurry spot in your vision for the rest of your life or tiny thumbs in your armpits? Wow, I mean
2: the yeah, I mean all of my vision's pretty blurry. I'll be honest with you. Mm. Um, but with glasses or content lenses, I can see a little bit. So let's let's go with that. Tiny thumbs. I mean, how and why?
1: What what am I doing with those? Well, you wouldn't be doing anything. They'd be just there. I don't know if they like m- could move independently. That would be kind of freaky because then they'd be like tickling the inside of your, your arm. At
2: least they're tiny.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: I'm not yeah. particularly astute, but I think, are they tiny enough that you wouldn't necessarily spot them at first glance? Like little nubbins? Yeah. <laughs> like little, tiny little... I think... Um, <laughs> I know I think, where you were going there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, think <laughs> <I'm gonna> go, <laughs> I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to take... I'm going to take the little thumbs. I'll have them. Bring them on. Yeah. I'm not worried about them. I think that they're a novelty, aren't they? The party trick. Get your little thumbs out from under your arms. Yeah. Okay. I I mean, anything to make me popular.
1: Sure. They could be handy as well, because if you were going to an important business meeting and you didn't really know which colour tie to wear, what you could do is put on a blue tie, for example, and if you get there and you say, well, I'm not sure about the blue, you've got a red one, held up perfectly by a little tiny thumb on the left and a green one held up by the little tiny thumb on the right. They could be very handy for bringing extra ties.
2: Imagine. And imagine if you learnt to text with them. You could be texting four people simultaneously if you, if you really worked at it. <laughs> that, and who, who doesn't want a need to be able to do that?
1: Would you not need little tiny mobile phones, though?
2: Yeah, but these these mobile phones these days, they're getting smaller and smaller. It's a matter of time. No, they're not. They're getting bigger and bigger. That is true, actually. The trend is reversed.
1: Yeah, remember, there used to be huge, ginormous brick things, and then all of a sudden, I remember there was a Sony phone, which was so tiny. It was just yeah. tiny. You had to, like, pull out a little thing for the aerial and pull out a little thing for the microphone bit, and the, the it was like a packet of mints, the, the phone itself, I don't know how you did it, but now we're back in the, the thing. There are tablets and phablets and all those, so I don't know.
2: It'll It'll come back around, these things work in cycles. Yeah, true. By the time they've grafted these tiny thumbs to my armpits, phones will be small again. Excellent. Trust me.
1: All right. Well, look, we will bring our tiny thumb armpits to the garage in Islington, uh, Highbury in Islington, next Monday. So come join us for Arsecast Extra live. 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 Uh, I'll be here with an Arscast on Friday. Um, catch some of you uh, at the Manchester United game, I hope. And uh, we'll see you for the live recording. Until then.
2: Bye-bye.